Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. With so much uncertainty around the various sporting fixtures this next couple of weeks, it's always sensible to have a plan B. And might I suggest that plan B should be plonking yourself on the couch, just watching and re-watching Spurs against Liverpool from yesterday. While the quantity of Premier League games was not overly impressive this weekend, the quality of this one was spectacular. But maybe that's not even correct to say because I do now have a vision of Deli Ali and Harry Kane somehow butchering a two-on-goalkeeper chance in the second half. And there were a number of misses, particularly by Spurs. So forget quality for a second. For sheer chaotic drama, this has to be the match of the season so far. Hi, Ken. Hi, Mer. Hey, Owen. Oh, no, no. Get no disagreement from this quarter. No. Welcome, everyone, to the first Second Captain's Football pod of Christmas week. Rest assured, we'll cover plenty of the Premier League football over the Christmas season, or what's left of those fixtures by the time we get there. What about yesterday, Elkan? Did you enjoy that wild ride? Well, um, you were talking about what a great game it was, Owen. And I just was sitting here shaking my head sadly as you were saying all that stuff. <laughs> and eventually you sort of... You sort of pulled it out of the bag a little bit by by pointing out that there was a lot of a lot of bad things happened too. I corrected my own um, mistake there, Ken. I'm happy. To yeah, you know, it was all oh wow, this is this is amazing. Like, there's so many explosions. This is great. Like, you know, look at all the explosions in this game. You know, it was a Michael Bay um, movie. <laughs> it was just there was a lot of sound and fury on signifying nothing. You you uh, and they were they. I wouldn't blame you on because if you were. If you were uh, watching, if you were one of the rubes watching Sky, uh, gobbling up um, the their their empty hype about how it was a great game, and you know, I was glad that Jurgen Klopp was able to point out, no, that wasn't a good game. That was a, that was a, a disgrace. What we've, Ken, what we've we witnessed. just we just want to feel something. Is that so wrong? 
Can you know the, Wils- the, the Ken Early Wilson Scrooge Fest is normally around, you know, 27th, yeah. You're 28th, a week early. kind of time. You've got a, you've got a <laughs> well, week it's early like this that, year. It's like that, um, you know, the phrase, uh, pearls before swine, you know, to indicate mm. something that's sort of just too good to be appreciated by the audience before which it unfortunately finds itself. This was like the opposite <laughs> of that. This is like, a, you know, a dead rat in a bap that you get. Um, at a wedding you know you go it's a it's a it's a wedding and the the dinner served and they actually bring it out and they whip off the silver service and it's just a dead rat there in a bap you can see the rat the the head lolling out one side the the long tail coming out the other side and the claws sticking out on either side of the bap and you're thinking do i feel does is this making me feel strong emotions yes but is it good no (laughs) You know, so I feel as though the, the match definitely whipped up something inside all of us. Um, it whipped up uh, among the people who are physically present. It whipped up anger, hatred uh, and violence uh, among uh, the, the millions who watched. It whipped up sort of the same emotions, maybe less visceral, maybe more, uh, you know, more towards the frothy anger. You know, people were putting horrible things on social media. Um it was decided by a calamitous series of mistakes by the by the referee, and then obviously by by players as well. You know, players like Harry Kane. You know, who who gave a, obviously he's back now, Harry Kane, but he gave one of the most inept displays of finishing uh, you're likely to see. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if the future for Harry Kane is maybe what what's happened with Joe Linton. You know, Joe Linton has been has has basically been been uh, repurposed as a kind of an Alan Smith. You know the way. You know the way. Alan, remember Alan Smith, the Leeds uh, and Man United and and Newcastle player. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, the coaches realised this guy this guy can't score at all, <laughs> but he is quite aggressive. So let's stick him in midfield and have him win the ball, and and that's happened with Joe Linton. I'm wondering if that's maybe what's going to happen with Harry Kane because. He doesn't score much, considering the volume of, of chances, but he he can stick his foot in. He's not he's unafraid of sticking his foot in, and he does have uh, a superpower, which is that um, a lot like if you're if you're playing uh, polo, uh, if you're playing polo against Prince Charles, or you know ice hockey against um, Vlad- Vladimir Putin, you know. I really, are you, you know, referees are kind of in are in that sort of position. You know, do I really want to call that foul against the Russian Why, president? He's the England captain. Well, well, I mean, he is the we. I yes, I mean, he is the England captain, and and you you can get away with things. And also, you know, the, you've got to find some role for him in the team. And they're, they're paying this guy a lot of money, and there's got to be yeah, 168 goals in the Premier League he has scored. That's just you know, for somebody who doesn't score many well, goals. you know, all, all, it's, it's all I'm saying good. is watch the video, watch the tape again. His his mistakes decided the outcome uh, as much as the mistakes of Tierney and and the mistake of Allison. I mean, Allison obviously made a few good saves, just as Kane scored a goal, but then. Really um, big mistakes uh, at crucial moments. Um, so it was just mistake after mistake after mistake, and a bizarre game in which both teams, I think, will have felt sick and not to win, and yet both weirdly relieved that they didn't lose. Uh, and I suppose most of all relieved that um, uh, nobody came out there with a broken leg, which, given well, the, which given the way say, it was was refereed, yeah. was was I think a, a pretty live possibility. 
Red cards were the big talking point, but we don't have an audio bed for that, so let's do Ken's pens instead. (laughs) Remember the rules, Ken. We briefly outline a situation in which a penalty was either awarded or was claimed by the attacking team. We play the new bed. You simply say, for me or not for me, and we play out with the bed. Mark is a stickler for these rules. So the claim in question, I'm going to put Diogo Jota bearing down on goal, apparently pushed over in the back by Tottenham's Emerson Royal. Ken's pens bed, please. I'll give it yet. For me, not for me. Ken's pants. <laughs> for me. I've never seen anything like that yet. If you want some, I'll give it yet. For me, not for me. Ken's pants. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stick, you didn't go real no. gung-ho there. It was you, just it didn't, a, for it me. Did, you see, it it sounded like you, you were pretty sure it's penalty, still, but you weren't entirely sure it's I'm penalty. still struggling. I'm still struggling for with me. this whole... I'm still struggling with the with the whole concept. You know, it seems as though we've got a lot of um, we've got a lot of bed, a lot of bedding surrounding a very very small, very minimal amount of of content. Mm, it's kind of it, it's like a bowl of a bowl of cornflakes with only one cornflake floating in a lot of milk. You know, I'm sort of <laughs> like, is this really what well, you know? Is, is did, did we get the balance right here? Is there a way that this could be improved? Look, it's we're still workshopping. Uh, we're still workshopping it. I mean, you've you've only asked me about Diogo Jota, which was the most obvious. Um, I mean, it, that was a, a genuinely stunning um, decision. You know, made more um, incomprehensible by the information. Well, according to Jurgen Klopp, that he had been told by the referee that the reason he hadn't given the penalty was that. Jota had stopped, or ha- he Jota had had I guess decelerated, uh, and the referee thought in a with a view to you know getting in the way of a collision with uh, with Emerson, and there you know therefore winning winning a penalty, um, without taking any account of the fact that Jota was engaged in playing a football game at the point and had literally just taken had <laughs> taken control of the ball. You know, what I mean? <laughs> the ball's been past him. He's controlled it and now he's going to try and shoot. And in the action of doing that, um, he he gets knocked over. So, I mean, it's just, that's unbelievable, amazing. But was not the only penalty decision that the referee could have given. I mean, for instance, the Matip foul on Winks, to me, was a clear foul. Stop talking, Ken. Ken's bad, please. I've never seen anything like that yet. If you want some, I'll give it yet. For me, not for me. Ken's pants. <laughs> for me, yes. Uh, that one for me too, yes. For me, I thought that was also a penalty. I've never seen anything like that yet. If you want some, I'll give it yet. For me, not for me. Ken's pants. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right, Ken. This, this Ken's bed might be stifling conversation somewhat. <laughs> you literally cannot talk about any penalty without hearing that bed. Not once, but twice as well. Dion Fanning and Jack Pitbrook on the show today after your report on sport, please. Kenny. And there was maybe the penalty um, against uh, Dali Ali. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold definitely puts a hand in the small of his back. You know what I mean? Does he overreact? Well, it's hard to ignore a hand in the small of... You're back, isn't it? In any whether you're a Premier League attacking midfielder bearing down on goal, or you know, in any any one of a of a number of other situations, you know, riding in an, in an elevator, you know, somebody puts their hand unexpectedly on the small of your back, you're going to feel it. It's a little electric jolt. Was it enough to really push him down? No, but necess- you know, we've seen plenty of penalties given for contact right and of course Liverpool went up the other end and scored immediately and with 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 an extra element of uncertainty uh of 
are, you know, is this goal going to be ruled out for a handball by Mo Salah? Well, the ruling apparently is that no handball doesn't count anymore. If you remember, actually, this fixture last season, uh, Liverpool Salah had a goal ruled out for a handball by Firmino in the Liverpool half. Yeah, I don't know if you recall oh, yeah. that. Firmino oh, yeah, could, yeah, yeah. well, Eric Dyer kind of crashed into Firmino from behind as he yeah. tried to control it. The ball sort of bounced up off his arm. He laid it off. I think someone passed it to Mane. Mane passed it to Salah. Salah scored. It's like, so it had gone sort of, it had gone 50 yards. And then it was like, no, that's a handball. So obviously the rules are different. Is the rule better now? I mean, it depends on whether you're a Tottenham supporter or not. It, you know, your, your interpretation of the rule, uh, uh, you know. But in, in this case, okay, we've, we've talked enough about that for now. Let's talk about the, because there, there was actually some football in between the refereeing mistakes. Um, clearly, you know, it would have been maybe a little bit different if the referee had enforced the rules. But um, you've got to say that this was a brilliant performance by Tottenham. You know, it's, it's like... Uh, this is the best Tottenham have played in a very, very long time. And it's not coincidental, I feel, that this happens after um, Antonio Conte, for the first time, has actually had some time without matches to work with the players. And I know that, oh, well, players, some players have had COVID and everyone hasn't been there the whole time. But the fact is that Tottenham have had a chance. You know, when Conte came in in mid-season, one of the questions was, well, um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a real system manager you know he's a he's a he's a, a massive system head and an automatism guy uh, and how is he gonna be able to really um drill the team in this sort of stuff when it's just match 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 with no time to train well uh the answer is that the 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 you know in a serendipitous way uh, obviously what start and, and look it's not as though Spurs haven't paid for this they have today been booted out of the Europa Conference League because UEFA have ruled that they're you know they, they didn't show to play against Rennes because they had too many coronavirus cases uh, and UEFA have ruled that was a, a 3-0 win now to the French team so they're out of that competition which I'm, I'm sure they can find a way to <laughs> get <laughs> over know, it I think that'll be alright was it worth it I think definitely yes you know, because you had players who uh, looked, uh, you know, fresher, really, really up for it. But it wasn't just that they were physically fresher and seemed to, and, and, and were playing with more intensity. It was, it, like, I don't mean, I don't think that it's just f physical, uh, you know, a kind of arrestedness. Because obviously, you know, you have COVID, that's not ideal um, mm. in terms of your physical condition. But it was the attitude of the team, the focus of the team, which was different from anything we've seen from Tottenham in a really long time. Because Tottenham, to me, have seemed like a team that has been kind of broken-hearted, in a way, ever since almost the 2018-19 season. When, remember, they got to the Champions League final. I mean, obviously, losing that final was a... Was a, uh, a, a a disaster for the team because it, there was really that sense of a chance has slipped through our fingers, which, which is going to be really difficult to get again. But for the entire second half of that season, remember they'd been just losing almost every second game. You know they'd been they they kind of been ragged, sort of shot to pieces, like fraying. Um, you know there was a sense that things are beginning to disintegrate, and since then obviously they've been through that process of disintegration. They had Mourinho. You know, they've Vertonghen and Alderweireld, these kind of pillars of the team uh, for a long time have, have gone. Kane was trying to leave. Deli Ali has disappeared. Um, you know, Ericsson obviously had, had left shortly after the Champions League. So there was all of these um, 
all of these things had, had happened and there was a sense of where are we going as a club and then they signed Nuno or brought in Nuno and it was like that things were worse now okay it feels as though we could be going somewhere again <laughs> you know we really could be Conte has the ability to to make teams feel as though look we're gonna we are gonna achieve something maybe you won't maybe you won't be with us but we together are are, are going places I think he has the ability to do this more so than certainly Nuno ever has and more so than Mourinho's had certainly since the uh, you know, for the last 10 years anyway. We'll hear we'll hear a little bit of this chat later on with the lads, but even Klopp's snide enough comments afterwards turned into a backhanded compliment, talking about how, you know, we know what they're going to do. Like, what are you supposed to do against that? They just defend and then play the balls into the spaces past yeah. your defenders for their fast players. You're like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the, the way you beat that's, Liverpool. That's exactly words. what I would do if I was if I was trying to beat Liverpool. I mean, you know, they 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 targeted weaknesses and they exploited them, and and the first goal is a brilliant example of it. And so, what are Liverpool's? What's Liverpool's weakness? The weakness is all the space they leave behind their defence. But why is this not usually? I mean, that that that's a weakness, or it's it's a vulnerability, I should say, rather than a weakness. It's a it's a it's a characteristic of their play. They try to defend very high which means that there's a lot of space in behind their defense if you can find the right ball. The thing that makes it difficult to to play that ball is that there's usually a lot of pressure on you when you're trying to do it. Right, that's what... And Virgil van Dijk is usually there van too, Dijk. so the ball has to be perfect. Van Dijk is there. But you know, to be honest, I, I kind of feel as though Matip and, and Konate are, are quite good defenders, you know, in, in to play that style. Like, I think, they, I think they, can, they can handle it. I think Liverpool's problem wasn't so much the absence of van Dijk as the absence of Fabinho... Thiago and Henderson all to, all at the same time, you know. So Thiago uh, had a COVID positive. Fabinho and Van Dijk out with COVID from from uh, from before, and Henderson apparently had a cold, not COVID. Um, so, but still out. Um, so when you lose all these players at once, what it meant was the midfield was was this. Uh, you know, I mean, Keita is like a fifty-five million pound player. You know, I mean, it's not as though you can sort of say this guy's not up to it. Uh, but Keita, Milner, and Morton, who's obviously a, making his full debut, a 19-year-old. Um, obviously, this is a unit that's never played together before. And I thought that was their problem, where this uh, midfield was not able to put on the kind of uh, concerted pressure on the ball when Tottenham had it that would stop repeatedly the dangerous passes uh, which were slicing through the defence and causing all these problems. The the goal is a good example of it. You can see the there's a ball into midfield which Harry Winks beats Naby Keita too, uh, and Keita is you know so, so this is bad. He's left his teammates in a in a bad position, but then the the other players have to react. So you actually see Morton and Milner both there in midfield, and the ball goes to Ndombele, and you can see there's this pass on to Harry Kane. I mean, you don't have to be. It's 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 obvious what Ndombele is going to try to do because you can see Kane. He's, it's clear that he's the guy who's going to be past it. You've got to try and get across, and Milner sees it, and he actually runs past Morton, but can't get there in time. Whereas Morton doesn't seem to, or if he sees it, he doesn't react. He just sort of is there, and the ball just kind of goes past him. So these are these are sorts of the, and then you know the ball it Kane's in, and Kane finishes it really well. And there was a number of, of other incidents like that, and the only difference was that this time Tottenham actually missed. Um, it's it's by far Liverpool's worst defensive performance of the season. If you look at the 
XG by far. Like at three three point four, I think. And they haven't. Don't even need to see the XG, Ken. I can see it with me they on. <laughs> so I saw San butchering a, ch- a couple of chances. Well, Kane a couple. San one. That one that Deli Ali that I mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah played into Kane which I think might have been the right option just he, he just executed pass. the pass badly he kind of played it behind Kane and gave Allison just an extra half second you know maybe he should have scored his own he, I mean he probably should have scored his own chance I thought it was an unbelievable miss at first I didn't realise that Allison had oh, saved that one, it yeah that one in the first half um, yeah, Kane yeah. had that header it where it kind of came at him quickly and he put it over the bar with an open goal um, you know there was the sun one off the post you know like these are all like great chances and it could have been an absolute uh, what was route. the score on XG Ken? Three point four to Tottenham and one point five or something on this to Liverpool. So it was a it was a paddling. It was an absolute. Mm. It was a paddling. Liverpool haven't been, haven't had a worse than one point nine before in this season. You know what I mean? So that's that's the degree to which they were ripped to bits by Tottenham more than in any previous game uh, this season. So on that metric, Tottenham can consider themselves very unlucky. Uh, I think not to have won the game. Uh, obviously, there were there were there were certain other things that went in Tottenham's favour. Um, with the, with the referee at the centre off, which again, is there any point even in talking about them at this point? Uh, I honestly don't think so. We'll talk about them a bit more with the, with Dion and and Jack. But clearly, uh, if if Harry Kane was to be sent off after twenty minutes, then maybe the game uh, would turn out differently. What else is happening besides games being called off left, right, and centre? Well, um, what else was happening? Well. I wouldn't mind. I was about to get my suit on, Murphy. Oh, oh. oh. Burnley. When did you find out, huh? Did they? Did they? I found they out tell when you texted me, Ken. It was me that texted you. <laughs> you literally texted. Game off. I, I said what? Uh, yeah, it wasn't one of these ones where there's all this behind the scenes stuff all morning. Where it's like, is it on? Is it off? There was no mention of it being off. Now there were a couple of ca- some cases in the Villa camp the day before, but like, that's the same with a lot of squads at the moment. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Sean, another late late one for Sean Dyche. But yeah, we had literally done the rehearsal. Was ready to go. Ready to chat to Jack Byrne and Steph Roach as well. Would have been, been a good. good punditry team. Oh, well, we'll get them together soon, again. Soon. We'll do it again. Um, what was the other... What, what games did actually happen? Well, the only one on Saturday was obviously Arsenal-Leeds, so Mikel Arteta's making a real fist of it now. Mikel Arteta. After it's his, turning, blood. It's turning. It's, it is. It is turning. <laughs> well, there was a... I saw Opta had a stat of uh, Arsenal are the first team since Wimbledon in ninety six ninety seven to lose their first three games of the season and still be in the top four, um, arriving at uh, Christmas. Uh, so it is a it's a it's a resurrection act by Arsenal. But you know the thing is that the, that the games Arsenal lost are um, the games the games Arsenal lost are, are the games they always lose. You know, like they, they in in the first they they lost to City and Chelsea in the first three matches. They always lose those games. Like there was no, the, the the crisis, the talk of crisis was was over overdone at that point. Um, I mean, what's happened since then is is really you know Saka and Smith Rowe have continued their good form. You know, Odegaard is playing better and better. Ramsdale has obviously emerged as this giant. You know, when 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 you, when you consider how bad the reaction was to the signing of Ramsdale, you know, when when they announced their signing, there was like uproar from Arsenal fans, and now he's he's become like this massive hero, uh, which goes to show how quickly things can turn around, and you know, things can keep turning around. That's the other thing about the way things turn around. But at the moment, he is a he's a massive I know, hero. There, there strikes me as a. You know, Ramsdale is a prime candidate for that wheel to continue to turn. <laughs> well, we you can, know, like I really feel like there's, you know, the 
The whole Ramsdale, the cult of Ramsdale, is not the most <laughs> rock solid cult I've ever come across. Did you see? Did you see the meme a few weeks ago where it was it was uh, an Aaron Ramsey spectacular? Sa- an Aaron, I've done it as well. Yeah. Uh, bloody Ramsdale spectacular save, and it was pretty funny. Not to be, he he ends up many 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 feet up in the air. Oh, sort it's of amazing! Supersonic. Incredible! I love yeah. that. Um, but you know, he's. I don't know if you saw him. Uh, Bantering off the Leeds fans, I did, Ken. I did. I very wow. nearly messaged you about it. In fact, and then I decided, yeah, yeah, let's no. just leave Ken to enjoy his weekend. But, what was yeah. he doing? I mean, he was just—he was simply striding around his penalty area, bantering with the Leeds fans behind the goal. He sent a lot of whom sounded as though they were in extremely bad form. Yeah, many of them were making a gesture, which seemed seemed to suggest that they what they, they really wanted a Christmas cocktail. <laughs> on. There's a lot of a lot of Aye. people waving their hand in a manner which suggested that they really wanted someone to shake a cocktail vigorously for them. Okay, um, okay. But the other thing, it. obviously, that's happened uh, in the last couple of games is, is the, this explosion of Martinelli, who has just had so many injury problems. Um, and you just see this, this guy, he just has that, like, incredible acceleration. Like, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, I remember... Um, the 2006 World Cup when Ribéry came into the Fran- uh, the France team and Zidane started talking about oh my god Ribéry on his motorbike you know what I mean this is like the, the, this guy has totally transformed our game and Martinelli just has that kind of uh, exceptional burst of speed over like a short distance allied to finishing ability like he if he can stay fit is is one of the best kind of inside forward uh, goal scoring you know in I don't want to say winger because he's not really a winger. He's like a he's like kind of a Mane type, um, and is you know if if he can stay fit, which has been the problem for him so far, is going to score a lot of goals. And you know, Obama Yang, uh, I don't know what he's got to do to get back into the team. Maybe the Africa Cup comes at a good time. Uh, he can go away and sort of find himself. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe maybe this is maybe this is a good moment for him. But what else is going on? Obviously, uh, Manchester City uh, cruising away at the top. And again, benefiting from bizarre refereeing decisions. I mean, Manchester City are always going to beat Newcastle. You know, there's no, there's this the, hardly the faintest sliver of doubt about this. You know what I mean? For now. I'm almost as confident that Man City are going to beat Newcastle as like that the sun will rise tomorrow in the East. That's <laughs> it's approaching that degree of confidence. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. But it is a bit easier, you know, it does make it more, if if Newcastle were given a penalty for like a blatant foul, again, it's like, how can this not be given? It's just like, the, whoever is doing this doesn't know the rules. Like, literally, the, the, it's impossible to look at that and say, you know, that's not, not a for me. No, not for me. Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's it impossible is, it's to say it not for me. It's impossible to say. I would say absolutely, it's impossible. But uh, I mean, it is possible. Mm. So uh, that, this is what happened. You, you have know, a particular kind of a bugbear about Edison using his body as a, a human torpedo, though, which he does well, a lot. Well, Let's well, be he honest. He does a lot. He's a human. He's a human grand piano falling out of a building. <laughs> like what? Is, the, Edison, an what are you an doing? anvil in a in a cartoon <laughs> in a nineteen forties cartoon. That's Edison. But like you know, and he and he, and he actually seems to have. I, I don't want to say concussed, but discombobulated himself maybe um, in the in the the action. I'll use a Pep Guardiola in the action just before uh, when 
it, he he kind of came, was it a corner or a free kick or something? He, he went to catch a cross and slammed hard into somebody, I think one of his own players, and then seemed to be a little like disoriented. And Newcastle very quickly got the ball back in the box. And that's when he just came plowing through Fraser. And it's just such a, it's just the most blatant penalty. Like, it's like he's just running. It was comical. You know, it was like off his quarterback. You know, he's just <laughs> plowing through this guy. How can you? And it's just not given. And you, you're sort of like, this is Fraser's. You know, Fraser obviously had the was the victim of of uh, he believed in injustice when Alexander Arnold fouled him uh, the other day. So once again, uh, Fraser not getting anything from the rest. Um, Desperately trying not to throw to the Ken's pens. Oh, we, we're not going to. We're not going to. There's no need to do it. You don't <laughs> Two per show is the max. Is that another rule? Can we say that's another rule? The, the other one good. was Wolves against Chelsea. You know, Wolves last seven matches: one nil against West Ham, nil nil against Norwich, nil nil against Burnley, nil one against Liverpool, nil one against Man City, one nil against Brighton, nil nil against Chelsea. Can Portuguese coaches and anti-football? Name a more iconic duo. <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should do your whole uh, news around, or report on sport in just in, um, in those in Twitter jaded jaded meme form. Jaded. Twitter hold hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> this um, absolutely this uh, game. Absolutely this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so obnoxious. Um, Tuchel in this game. Um, obviously, very unhappy to have to play the game, and he spoke uh, afterwards about how. Like, you know, how many, I think seven COVID positives is what they had. And then they had to use uh, Kante, even though he wasn't really fit for the game. They had to use, they had to bring Kovacic off the bench, even though he wasn't, he was just back from an injury as well. Um, but basically, they didn't, he felt like they didn't have any choice. You know, you don't, he, he said, like, you don't take a player like N'Golo Kante out of, the, out of the, it's just in these circumstances, you can't take one of the best midfielders out of the world, in the world out of the game, just because he's like, you know, verging on another serious injury I mean I'm going to say seven seems like quite a lot and we'll talk a bit about this later again but the grounds a lot of managers just don't don't know what's going on because there's no clarity on how many players there isn't an exact number it's not the usual 14 if you have 14 players available then you have have to play the game it's taken on a case-by-case basis but in a case where there are seven confirmed positives and then you know you've got to assume that it could always be worse than that. It's <laughs> I'm no expert, just to put that qualification in there, but it does feel like... I can see why Thomas Tuchel would be annoyed and also managers of some other teams who've tried and failed to get their games called off. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it seems like... And it was... Uh, also, did, I, I did think that Tuchel, with the, with his sort of outfit he had, where he had a kind of a... Uh, he was sort of pe- peering out almost through like Balaclava thing. He reminded me of one of the nihilists in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> and then he, then he got incredibly angry after the game complaining about the game. But you're kind of like, okay, uh, you see, nobody really understands why, what 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 do you need? What what exactly is it? Like, that, they, it's something you need 14 players or something. But phew, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not very clear what's been going on. You know, some teams it's like, well, we've had to close our training ground. You know, this, we've had so many positives. It's like, yeah, but are they first team players? Are you team players or staff members or what exactly is? And that is one of the factors that's, it's, if you've closed your training ground, that's deemed to be one of the factors. Yeah, that's you need to close your, tra- close your training ground. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't seem to me to be very transparent. I mean, clearly it's not. Like Chelsea felt that they had enough to get the game called off. They asked for that. They asked for that. They have asked for that, really. And they asked and they, they were told no. So it's clearly not a case of, you know, the the criteria are clear. Do you fulfill the criteria? Yes or no. 
you know, because if Chelsea, if if it was that clear, then Chelsea wouldn't have bothered asking to have their game postponed. You know what I mean? They were going, well, we can't, you know. Uh, like Bielsa, like Bielsa's sort of tragic comments after the game. Well, look, like Biel- Leeds are missing most of their team, but because it's not COVID, they have to play. And, you know, someone was like, well, you know, you, you, it's pretty, you can't get these games called off, Marcel. What do you think? And he goes, no, no, the rules make no... You know, the rules, there's nothing in the rules about, oh, if you've got a certain number of injuries, then, you know, you can have your game postponed. It's it's very specific. So just because they're the wrong type of injury, um, Leeds having, are having to play and absolutely getting hammered uh, from pillar to post. I mean, they, they, they played, uh, obviously, Chelsea bled for a 3-2 last-minute penalty defeat. <laughs> You know they have they have bled against Chelsea. Then had to go play the next game is against Manchester City. They lose seven 0 and then Arsenal four. Oh my god! You know it's horrific, um, and it's just a pity that Marcel Bielsa has been so diligent in getting all those players vaccinated because a COVID outbreak last week <laughs> could have really turned the lead season around. Uh, but uh, things are looking pretty grim right now. We're going to talk Ireland now. Uh, delighted to say Ken Early from the Second Captains podcast, podcast uh, joins us. Just have a bit of balance, Ken. Mark, Mark O'Neill's record. Mark, Mark O'Neill. Hang on a minute. Did he get to the Euros? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Martin O'Neill's record in the last year. Got to the Euros. He got to he got to Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. He got to the Euros. Yes. Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. Do you do you Uh, think you're going to get to the Euros with Stephen Kenny, Ken? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Well, I mean, he'd have to be in charge for the for the next Euros. I mean, we did have a playoff to get to the Euros thanks to finishing bottom of the Nations League under Martin O'Neill. You know, literally, we finished bottom of the group. <laughs> Me and Michael, we're just sitting back and really enjoying this. I know, so, yeah. I can't listen. I can't listen to, to this rubbish talked about. Um, I just can't. I can't. And then you're praising somebody. Ken, thank you very much for coming on and, and standing up to grumpy chops in the corner. It's been much appreciated. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to talk to everyone, especially Chris. <laughs> what an absolutely wild game we have to talk to Dion Fanning of the Currency about today. Hi, Dion. Hi, Owen. How's it going? And Jack Pitbrook, who covers Tottenham for the Athletic. Not many games to cover recently, Jack, but they're, they're back with a bang. Yeah, I thought like they had all the all the excitement uh, from the last few weeks. They've been missing out on kind of crammed into one game. That was the most entertaining Tottenham game probably since the pot probably since the Pochettino era, certainly in terms... Well, certainly there were things there yesterday which we hadn't seen since Pochettino, just in terms of the intensity they played at, the speed they played at, which is not certainly not something seen on the, under Jose or Nuno. Uh, also that sense that everyone was pulling in the same direction, you know, the players, mm-hmm. the manager, the fans, um, everything coming together in a really... In a way which everybody just... Everybody buys into. Um, so, yeah, it was... In terms of positivity, it was unlike anything they'd seen... F- probably since the run to the 2019 Champions League final. Dion, was it actually a great game or was it just an out-of-control mess caused by incompetent referees? Like, Is this what we want, just badly refereed chaotic games? And my answer to that is yes. I think it can be both, can't it? It can be both chaotically refereed and a great game. It was certainly thrilling and the decisions um, of the referee definitely contributed to that sense of kind of... Uh, 
sort of like unrestrained or quite barely restrained fury that that the teams were were going into it with because you know when you get a when you get that sense that a referee really doesn't know um what he's doing or more precisely maybe you don't know what the referee is going to do next it does add it does add a, a, a an element and a kind of to the cocktail that is um that is kind of you know bewitching like but it is uh, i would say to jack the other thing about jack's point the other thing that it had of course that uh Spurs haven't had in a while was Harry Kane uh, scoring, which was uh, you know um, that was one thing uh, he did in the game. All right, yeah, it was. But it was again, it was uh, that that all those elements that came in to see the right. This is this is a this is a you know incredibly transformed Tottenham from uh, as Jack said from recent years, and also maybe an incredibly transformed Tottenham from two weeks ago. Yeah, Jack, did Tottenham look like a team who'd finally had the benefit of a preseason? Maybe, although I don't think, I don't think they necessarily came into this game in good physical condition, even though they had this break, simply because, you know, half the first team had got COVID during that time. And some of the, you know, some players who you would normally expect to be playing for Tottenham weren't available. Um, So I don't think, I'm not sure the break necessarily worked for them. That said, there were some players who played with more kind of energy and fizz than you've seen for a really long time so mo- most obviously would be Deli Alley. that was definitely the best Deli Alley performance I've seen since Pochettino Harry Winks as well I thought was fantastic and show you know he's someone who's a bit like like Deli he's kind of fallen off the face of the earth in the last few years but he's obviously you know there's obviously a good player in, in there as well even Sessegnon who again you know high hopes when he was signed in 2019 hasn't really done much at all was fantastic so lots of, and that's really the kind of what you're hoping for when you get in someone like Conte. Like, it's not just... It's that he will be able to lift every single individual player. And lots of players who've massively underperformed under Mourinho and Nuno now look like they're heading in the right direction again. Yeah, what about... What's, what is the story with Delhi? Because I, was, I, I swore I was reading reports on the morning of the game that they decided to get rid of him in January. And yet here he was having a pretty good game and looking like he could actually have a future after all. I mean, what is what is the story with him? I know there's this... The, it's always the same with with Deli Ali. It's well, you know, his career's basically just gone off the rails. You know, it can happen that way. You know, one minute you're the uh, king of the world, and next you're Deli Ali. Um, and but but like, what what exactly is is that? What what is the explanation for it? I mean, there, there's the, there isn't really a physical basis for it. Um, what do you think has happened? Well, I think there's a few things. I think I think he has. I think he's he's lost his way in terms of. I think the, I think the, the the central thing, Ken, is that I think he has lost that hunger, which was the like the, the key bit of his game. Like the key thing of the best bit of Deli Ali's game, I always thought was making those runs, willing to break his neck to get on the end of things, getting in the box, taking a risk, and he has this amazing kind of nose for where the ball's going to bounce and what what's going to happen in the box if he just makes that run. And that's how he scored at those goals back in the sort of sixteen seventeen season. And I think he's just stopped. He's lost a bit of that hunger, a bit of that edge, whether that's because, you know, he's got... Dis- There's different theories on this. You know, has he got distracted by off-the-field interest? Is it because he wanted to leave Tottenham and then he didn't get a move and he had to sign new contracts and he thought, well, this is kind of as, as much as I'm going to achieve in the game? Is it because of managers using them the wrong way or, like, the emergence of Son as a strike partner for Kane, which means that Delhi doesn't really quite have the same space to break into? But, and you know, he has played a fair bit recently, but as a sort of uninspiring midfielder, and this was the first time in years that you see him playing like he used to play, you know, running in behind, running beyond Kane, getting in the box, trying to get on the end of things. And if he does that, he's a really, really dangerous player to stop. And I, know, I mean, it certainly was the case last week, or 
that Tottenham would be open to letting him go in the summer. Sorry, in, in January on loan. But given how he how dangerous he proved that he can still be, I wonder whether he you know whether they might be better off keeping him. Yeah, you know the question that I have also what, after seeing Tottenham, I mean, which was a it was a fantastic performance from Tottenham in a lot of ways, and it's been their it's been their outstanding performance of the season, you know, in terms of XG and all this kind of thing. I mean, they had so many clear chances. It's kind of incredible that they didn't win in the end. But what they did have was a really clear idea of what they were trying to do. That was obvious. And I mean, so much so that, that Jurgen Klopp kind of caricatured it afterwards as well. They just want to kick the ball, you know, in behind and, and run in there. And you're like, well, that is actually kind of what they were doing. Uh, and and Klopp, I felt, you know, Liverpool played into their hands a little bit. But the, the interesting thing about this is that in, in, in its basic outline is no different from, say, what Jose Mourinho was trying to do with Tottenham. Um, you know, in, in the sense that I'm sure that Mourinho would have seen a lot to like about the the performance that the Tottenham gave. You know, defensively good, breaking. You know, winning the ball at the edge of the box, breaking. You know, lightning uh, pace up the up the field, just laser focus, um, and and cutting through repeatedly. This is you know that's that's exactly what Mourinho, in his dreams, uh, his his teams play like that. Why can Antonio Conte get these players to do that after just a few weeks when Mourinho was never able to do it? Yeah, well, it wasn't even just Mourinho. Like, the game it really reminds me of was, do you remember when Spurs battered Liverpool 4-1 at Wembley in November 2017? Yeah. Uh, That was, if you watch the game back, it was all all about getting Kane and Son in behind and speed on the break. And I think there's a recognition that that if you're going to beat Liverpool, if you're a big team, and Liverpool are going to you know, play high up the pitch. That probably is the best way to do it, to run in behind like that. In terms of why Jose couldn't get it to work, well, I think the issue with Mourinho wasn't so much the tactics. It was more that he alienated the players so much through his through what he said in public and, and in private. Uh, that was probably like the biggest thing. And also there was just a lack of intensity in, the, in terms of training and uh, back at, you know, uh, he didn't do enough to kind of try and keep the players fit and the players felt a little bit un- unmotivated and unchallenged by him towards the end. But uh, you're, you're right that in essence, like the tactical plan yesterday was was a very kind of direct counter-attacking style. But it was perfect, because not le- one, because if you've got Kane and Son, you might as well play to their strengths. And two, because it made them, you know, without Hoiberg and Skip, they were allowed to play a slightly more creative midfield. And one thing that Harry Winks is really good at is you know, accurate, direct passing to guys running in behind. So it was, even with this kind of slightly depleted Spurs team, it was the perfect approach for the game, I think. Dion, it was a depleted Liverpool team as well, we should mention. And I'm not sure if Jurgen Klopp noticed that <laughs> because he's missing his entire midfield. He's got, um, he's missing his best defender, who's also vital to their attacking game. And yet it didn't seem like he made any concessions to that. You know, maybe this is part of the positivity that makes him such a great manager. But are there occasions when you just need to look at the circumstances and change your approach? Because as he said, it was tough playing against Tottenham, but also Liverpool played into their hands a bit. Yeah, but I don't think... Klopp is going to do that. So, you know, you could say a, a different manager might do something different or might be more pragmatic, but Klopp would argue uh, with some justification that what Liverpool have achieved means he's he's never going to do that. But I do, I, I think, I think the midfield, like when, when you talk about how well the Spurs midfield played, I think it's important to, I think part of the reason for that and the fact that, you know, the players who are in there who, who were able to get time and space to play it's got, you know, as you say, on like Liverpool were missing their first choice midfield and that contributed hugely to that. Um, 
you know, Keita, Morton, like, you know, Milner to a degree, like they're not um, the players who necessarily will give you together, and Morton, player, people clearly rate him very highly, um, but they're not the group together that will give you that uh, foundation that Klopp so demands so much from from his midfield. And it was, although, you know, again, this season we've seen that a little bit with Liverpool, um, the midfield being, you know, that, that, that the absence of Wijnaldum, uh, especially earlier in the season, and with Liverpool drawing games that they, they previously wouldn't have drawn, and that sense of being vulnerable through the middle. And that was something, again, that... that uh, was 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 there yesterday? Mm. We've got this far without without mentioning the refereeing. Well, well we have no, mentioned it. If, we, just we you don't listen to my it. questions anymore, Ken. We're, we're married too a, long. There was a tangential reference. There was a t- tangential <laughs> reference to two it. questions, we, but continue. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't really we didn't really get into it yet. Um, how does something like that happen? I mean, a refereeing Chernobyl like that. I mean, you know, how does that <laughs> how does that something like that happen, Dan? Uh, incompetence I think it's like you know like it's very hard because uh, I think everyone's aware and in Ireland we're kind of aware especially recently there was like a campaign about referee abuse and it's very important to kind of stress even when you say incompetence that it is an incredibly tough job but there is a sense of I think there is a sense without coming over all Richard Keyes um, there is a sense of a kind of a, a, a politic, let's say, like a sense of, of being aware of, of the kind of the conversation around around matches and what should be done yeah. that uh, that undermines the ability for of referees so, to to do the job the way they really should. Now, can you just you explain know, that a little bit more, Dion? Sorry, I'm not, not totally clear well, on what you mean. By well, the, I, I think that, I think they I think they're very aware of how the, of the reaction there's going to be to their decisions and and what's going to happen. It reminds me if you go back a few years when there was the uh, respect the referee campaign. I think it's just very confusing for players. I remember the Mail ran this respect the referee campaign. Uh, and everyone got behind it. And I mean, Liverpool played Manchester United at Old Trafford after that. And Javier Mascherano, who clearly wasn't reading the mail that week, um, kind of behaved around referees like he'd always behaved. And next thing, found himself sent off um, for kind of, you know, not being aware of the new Respect the Referee campaign. And, you know, they, 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 they sort of make decisions on the basis. There, there is a sense of making these decisions for... For, for an audience rather than for, for what's best for, for the match. And I think that is something that is very tough for referees then to referee within that within that structure. Yeah. I, the fact that last week it was like everybody got a penalty and this, this week it was like nothing is a penalty is, yeah. is, an, is, an, is an illustration of this, surely. Yeah, no, that's it. Like that, that, that sense, yeah, and everyone last week said there were too many penalties, so then it's... Um, Let's just let let let's go back to let it flow. And again, I think we saw this with the let it flow campaign. Um, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's like the it's one of those things. You put an idea like that into somebody's head, and I, you know, I think there's this is this is you know, I get people in in lots of uh, walks of life would understand this. You know, like if you put, if you if you say something to somebody that isn't necessarily constructive. Um, it kind of lodges in their head and becomes a thing they have to obey rather than actually looking and, and playing to the rules as they understand them. Mm. Um, 
and then and then you also have this issue with stuff like you know the clear a clear and obvious error um and the interpretation of that being entirely subjective um really uh and i also think in in this instance like i think one of those things that's kind of a, um a pointless thing is sometimes people talk about consistency from referees because each referee is clearly going to have different uh um levels of tolerance for certain uh infringements but to have, you know, you do expect in the course of a game to have consistency from the same referee. Yeah. And for that not to happen uh, with the Kane tackle and then for, you know, and the Robertson tackle does kind of just, it's an open goal for people who want to kind of scream about consistency. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, that was a really extraordinary decision. And, and you know, the, this referee, Paul Tierney, I suppose at least was consistent in terms of not awarding penalties because Tottenham did have a couple of penalty claims as well. Uh, there was a foul by Madabon, well, apparent foul by Madabon Winks, which which wasn't given, could easily have been given. Then the one on Deli Alley by Trent Alexander-Arnold just before Liverpool took the lead the Kane one is was just this astonishing though Jack I mean you've been listening to to these points Dion's been making we know there's always been a rule that if you're the England captain then the rules don't apply to you and that's you know something that Alan Shearer was laughing about last night on on TV um, they didn't want to mention that he kicked Neil Lennon in the head that time, but he did, and it was it was fine. Uh, he was at the time the England captain. Uh, this wasn't quite as bad from Kane, but I mean it's such <laughs> like it's such an obvious uh, such an obvious uh, uh, red card. It, it, there's almost no point in, in talking about it because it's so obvious. What I really want to ask is, do you feel as though um, the uh, advent of the VAR system has actually made this phenomenon Dion's talking about worse? that the, the decisions can actually be more responsive, not even just to immediate political concerns, like people are saying there were too many penalties, you know, let's let's let it flow a little bit, but also the kind of, the overall marketing of the Premier League as like the league for real men, you know, where, where you know, we don't mind a bit of, we don't mind some fouls in the penalty box from time to time, you know, <laughs> that's, it's just, it just all adds to, adds to the excitement and that VAR is actually enabling referees to, to kind of, be more responsive to these kinds of things than previously a referee who's just having to make a decision in the moment and hope that he's got it right that then he had uh, had the ability to do yeah i think there's something in that because i think when i saw the tackle as soon as you saw kane leave the ground i my personal reaction was that will be that ought to be a red card either instantly or through var and obviously that wasn't the case and i want i wonder whether you might be right and that the the fact of VAR means effectively both the referee and the means that the referee and the VAR can almost hide behind one another. They're leaving it to each other. Yeah, they, like each one of them says, "Well, maybe it's a red card, but I'll leave that to the other bloke to decide." And neither of them ends up making what is clearly the right decision. So there's a bit in there's a bit in David Ornstein's column in the Athletic today saying that the reason that the the reason why it wasn't a red card was because because Robertson was jumping in the air and therefore his leg wasn't planted. It wasn't as dangerous as, as it should have been. That's incredible. And, and maybe maybe that was the reasoning, but it's a, it's a not it's a bad reason. It's like it's not dangerous driving because you you try to jump out of the way of the car that hit it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost literally. Almost li- literally that. So I, yeah, I think you probably are right that the the VAR, while I mean, in a sense, it should provide an extra level of scrutiny, an extra level of accuracy, in effect, it removes the kind of the pressure to get it right in the first instance and therefore allows two people to hide behind one another. And that if if Tierney had made, if Tierney, if it had just been left to Tierney's instinctive decision in the moment 
and if you know it maybe they it would have been more right more likely to have reached the correct decision which of course would have been a straight red card yeah i, I mean it's it's i see people say things like you know it's not the system it's the people who are in charge of the system these referees is the solution to have an extra layer of of you know just to, to bring more VAR like to another another video referee who will scrutinize the video referee we're one layer away from getting it right <laughs> just, you know if they can just have one more if they can just have one more layer one more bloke with a with a big computer screen somewhere who can VAR the VAR then I think we'll get everything right that's when we will reach the 100% 100% accuracy that we've been driving ourselves crazy pursuing for the last few years um when you say 100% accuracy i I'm immediately reminded of of Manchester City in front of goal. Um, I think they're eleven nil in their last hundred and eighty minutes. Um, do you feel at this point, Jack, as though Manchester City have taken control of this thing and are beginning to just cruise away in a gear that none of the teams behind them uh, can match? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, it was kind of that way last year as well. Like City were actually, it was more that way last year in the sense that City were rubbish really for the first three months of the season, and then in about November, I think it all just clicked, and then City were almost, I think, went on that ridiculous run and were sort of unbeatable for months and months and months after that, and I'm, it's kind of ominously looking a, a little bit like that way now. You know, all this kind of concern about. You know, they had to have a striker and they need a striker and they won't sc- score enough goals without one has proven to be nonsense. You know, they are, you know, bizarrely, Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden has proven to be the best sort of strike force in the country. You know, there's two midfielders up front and City have been uh, kind you know, of, scoring goals at will. It's kind of nuts the way they can do this, isn't it? Like, what is it? I think one of the, one of the things that um, Guardiola has definitely brought to this team is this just supreme assurance in league? It's interesting because it's actually quality that sort of deserts them when they get to the, the later stages of the of the Champions League. They suddenly start playing with tension, uh, you know, and it's and it's like the first time in the season almost that you've seen them. But they're just so confident of their own superiority in, in league play. It's it's really it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. It's like they really have reached a kind of supreme level of integration and coordination I think and there's not really I mean I, Liverpool on their day do have that as well but the great thing the amazing thing about City is they have it it's not just their first 11 that has it it's, you know they can change four or five players in the team and still play the same way uh, so uh, and yeah it, it's kind of it is, it is slightly it's both incredibly impressive watching them do it in the Premier League but also quite dull just because there is no sense of jeopardy in the Premier League games there's no sense of jeopardy at all like that the two-all draw they had with Liverpool earlier in the season was a fantastic game and really really good but that's Liverpool away and that's a one-off and the other 37 games of the season I mean the City are not going to win I don't think City are going to get like 100 plus points this year but I think they'll get pretty close and um, I'm afraid they have slightly taken the sting they looks like they might take the sting out of what should be an exciting Premier League title race. Yeah, Chelsea in particular seems to be fading away, Dion, through, I guess, some fault of their own, but they also feel aggrieved that they weren't allowed to call their game off, unlike Tottenham. I mean, the system seems to be that it's a case, what well, it is, that it's a case-by-case basis, and lots of things are taken into account, including whether or not the training ground had to close, how controllable or uncontrollable the outbreak is. I don't know how that's judged, because there, there is, as all the managers have said, there's no clarity on it. Can you see why the way it's being done at the moment is causing so much angst among managers, including Thomas Tuchel? Yeah, it's, um, like Tuchel explained it pretty well, uh, 
after the game, the Wolves game, where he's just talking about how you know you're 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 traveling on a coach together, you're in a you're eating together, you're doing all these things together, and yet somehow you're meant to uh, control and uh, be able to stop the spread of an airborne virus. Um, and it's uh, and then and then for for it to be incredibly unpredictable when a game is going to be there'll be no clear criteria when a game is going to be called off um it's it's making it very difficult um for for lots of teams and you know for for planning and uh, you know for, for uh I, the health of the players as well but i think there is just that sense of you know it it's kind of reaching a breaking point now and how they manage it is the you know what they there, there's a like I suppose, like society, broader society, there's a decision to be made now, and what it just depends what kind of level of, of intervention that decision is. Yeah, is is it becoming a problem? Do you think for the integrity of the of the season? You know, in terms of like the the fixture list always creates, you know, very random variation. You know, uh, everybody plays the same opponents, yes, but you don't really play exactly the same opponents. There's differences in, in you know, some some weeks a team, all their players are injured. Some weeks they're playing really badly. Some weeks uh, a new manager's just arrived and everyone's playing for their careers. You know what I mean? So so that variation has always existed. But now we've got these, these like, massive distortions of, you know, long, some teams are getting long breaks, others just have to keep going. Um, it's it's making a big difference to, to the outcomes at this point of the season. Yeah, I... I yeah, I, I guess it is to a degree. Although it's again, it's a factor that in theory should um, affect teams equally. You know, and if you talk about it in terms of an injury crisis, or you talk about it in terms of uh, those kind of well, things. Well, sorry, you know, just in terms of affecting teams equally. I mean, the 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 interesting example there is Leeds, who <laughs> who are like, you know, we've done everything right. We everyone is vaccinated. Um, it's just that they've all got other injuries now and we have to play, you know, we, we have a 15-year-old on the bench, whereas Man United, according to Mail on Sunday, have like 50%, 50% of players unvaccinated and currently have have a winter break uh, as a result of it. So in, so in effect... Well, yeah, no, I, from that point of view, there's a, uh, there's an issue, but that's, a, again, a bigger issue. Like, the the integrity is the integrity of the league then being jeopardised by the fact that some clubs don't... Uh, that there are a number of players, some clubs have very poor vaccination rates compared to other clubs. Potentially, yes. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, you've seen people are, 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 are trying to address that probably belatedly in the sense of actually taking strong, you know, being as strong as they should have been. Like someone like Klopp has obviously been strong for a long time on it, whereas other other managers tended to kind of speak of the, the you know the personal choice kind of go down the, the personal choice route when um there is there is an issue there is clearly an issue in the premier league and uh that is something that does jeopardize it if leeds have managed to do this and yet their you know their injury crisis is seen as something uh just that you have to live with whereas a, a covid outbreak is seen as, as as grounds for a postponement there is you can make a case then that it's um you know that there is some integrity issues at stake but i think there is also yeah i don't know it's 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 a funny one this week because you see some of the games going ahead and you think right if those if that approach is taken for more of them then it should you know again it's covid evens itself out over the course of a season but at the same time we're in a situation right now where we're dealing with uh, a surge and a peak and you don't know how long that's going to deal going to last um 
but or do we just accept it and go well this is this is what it this is this is what happens when you play football during a pandemic and to be kind of screaming at the clouds is uh, kind of pointless okay we'll leave it there Jack brilliant stuff Dion thanks so much thanks guys cheers Island and I had a famous press conference where they wanted to know everyone in the world and I'd got the job except me and um, got on with the job then. I had thoughts on international football, how we should play. Everybody played the same way in the world. I went to the World Cup in Mexico. They were like peas in a pod. They played through a playmaker. They all played a sweeper. They all played possession football and nobody would commit anybody for it until the playmaker was in possession in a good area and then they would commit themselves a little bit. And I thought, well, we can't enter this fray with the Irish team and play that way. Because it'll take us years to catch up and produce a team with the quality that they had got, the type of game they played. So we introduced a game like we play the ball into the corners, condense the areas, put them under pressure and play from there. And it worked a charm. It wasn't a knockabout, take your time game. It was a rush game, more of the sort of game that the Irish expected of their own Gaelic players. You get the ball forward, you compete, you chase people, you close people down, you create excitement, you win balls when you shouldn't win balls, you commit yourself to the game. A lot of the pundits didn't like it, but the teams that we played against hated it. They never experienced anything like we dictated to them. I mean, Ireland actually beat Brazil. Not many people know that, but we did. Okay, it was at Lanzon Road and it was 1-0, but we beat Brazil and we've beaten every team of any quality in the, in the world. Have I missed football? Yes, I have. I miss the involvement with the players because I'm not really a manager, I'm a coach. I miss it when I go to a football match because I've nothing to go to the football match for. Unless I'm supporting the club. I love the North East clubs, I'd like to see them do well. So I'm on their side. But I've nothing to look at and see. I've no player to watch. I've no analysis to do on the game. I've no notes to make. I've no preparation to do for a game that's coming up. I've no young lads to have a look at or try or to talk to or to try and bring through. But then I look at it and I'm 62. The team needed to be restructured and rebuilt. And when you've been there 10 years, it's, that makes it that much harder. I'd done me bit. It was time for me to leave. And I suppose now, after 10 years, I'm as much Irish as I am English. I am now an Irish citizen, not an honorary. I'm an Irish citizen. I've got my passport, my wife's got a passport. I've got a house over there. I get back and forth whenever I can. I love the place to death. Yes, yes, we want, I promise to take Mick Garone, we take Mick Garone. And listen, have you a preference again? We asked you before, Italy or Uruguay. I'm not really bothered. We're there. We're in the last day for the first time in my history, and it's magic. I'm, I'm delighted <laughs> for the lads. Well done. Congratulations. Cheers, Thank you. And good luck to the people back home. Great. Hope they have a good party. <laughs>
Ah, what an absolute masterpiece that one is. The words of Big Jack and the beautiful music of Connor Walsh. That was a clear winner of our audio bed of the year slot from the Second Captain's Christmas Log Cabin in 2020. This year's awards will be handed out on Christmas Eve, Murph, this Friday. You can sign up to hear the most bizarre show of the year on secondcaptains.com for five euro a month. That's it for the week today. It contained at least one grunge week and one synth week. We don't have enough trouble on this day. We didn't have grunge week this year, actually, Murph. No, we must have had. We didn't. Not in the entire no week. It's going to be The calendar no, year of twenty. It's going to be two in 2022 There was two yeah. in 2020 though Wasn't there So now No there was one What are you talking about We never had two grunge weeks We had two synth weeks <laughs> But five synth weeks Anyway Let's play out today With the contenders For audio bed of the year 2021 You can go to uh, Second Captains Twitter At Second Captains right now And vote for your favourites We'll also link to the polls On our website So get stuck in We'll announce the winner On Friday's show Live from the log cabin Thanks Ken Thanks Thank Murph you, oh, Thank you Kieran Thank you Ken Thanks for listening. Hope to chat to as many of you as possible between now and Christmas. To those who aren't signed up, have a great one. We'll talk to you on the other side. Murph, this year's list, please, before we hear them play at the show. Okay, we have Unlock, the Richard Keys bed, the Woe mm-hmm. Chelsea remix, Mason Mount, uh, Rachel Blackmore raises <laughs> the bar, Hurt Them, Kill Them, Injure Them, the Mead remix, which I'm... <laughs> ah, Scary. Uh, Ken Early's uh, I know what 2000 nice. is LeVar Ball's uh, 2000th show Message to McDevitt Come on Unbelievable I have to accuse myself From voting on this Because obviously I'd have to go uh, Kelly Harrington Olympic champion uh, Our tribute to Alan, Alan McLaughlin Kevin Brannigan says We need to touch each other more Weeks before a massive Global pandemic With uh, David Snead uh, Murph's Flower of Scotland uh, The Frank Lampard Harry Redknapp uh, remix And Aztec Gold The Synth Week <sighs> Intro bed Strong competition If I had to push no. it right now on no, we're not okay, doing that. Fair enough. We can't leave it up to the people. We can't study the exactly, okay, exactly. Enough. Leave it up to the people. I said, Karen, it's Richard Keys. Prehistoric banter, please. It was just banter. It is not acceptable in a modern world. Do you have any regrets? None. There are some dark forces at work here. The eyes have it. The eyes have it. I'm oh. Who are going to get together and go? Ooh. Like you know, like yo. Are Kante going to be like? Ooh. As for the Quetta and Jorginho, like Ooh. little pack of alpha dogs. Like Ooh. is Mason Mount the senior man? Like who's it? Who've we got here? You know. Second now, are about five lakes down, 150 yards to go. Manella Times, Rachel Blackwell still five lakes clear, and it is Manella Times who is keeping up the gallop towards the line. Manella Times, Rachel Blackmore raises the bar still higher. A growing on the 45 meter line. This is deliberately to stop means momentum. Have no doubt about that. When Get vulnerable, they always do this, always and ever, and always and ever have. That was our mentality in the 80s. Hurt them, kill them, injure them. Mackie D. Some of missing now. The killer instinct. Killer instinct. Two or three players need to stop. Some way, somehow, they need to be stopped. Hurt them, kill them, injure them. Killing Dublin, stopping Dublin. Certain things need to Like, he looks, the fact is, he looks at that squad, and in his head, all he can hear is. This is his exquisite 
self-pity. Timo Werner, like. Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. Owen McDevitt, you're a gold piece of work. You're looking good. I know you're feeling good. Owen, you're amazing. I'm like, yeah. 2,000 podcast recordings today and the second captain show in Ireland. Owen McDevitt. Owen, I like you and I like your style. I hear you in your 40s. Kelly Harrington, Beatrice Ferreira. Here we go. Two decent ones for Ferreira again. Harrington keep it going. The shades from Zora John. Can she continue what she's doing? Goes to the body again. Lovely right hook to the side of the head. Beautiful shot. What a fight this is. Beautiful left. Right hook dance. Left hook dance from Harrington. Uppercut from Ferreira. Ferreira has to go for it. Responsibility and the man from Portsmouth proves himself another masterstroke as a substitution. Alan McLaughlin has struck gold for Ireland. Alan Also, like sneaker cans into stand really easily. Come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. We need to touch each other more. Can't you see that I am not afraid? The European Nation song. What was that promise that you made? That's what going to a football match is about. Why won't you tell me what she said? Touching other people, you're hugging other people. What was that promise that you made? We need to touch each other more. Never ever get a chance to play audio back to me and be like, what were you thinking? How could you have come out and said such a thing? Oh, Florida, Scotland, when will we see your like again? Scotland are a disgrace to world sports. That fought and died for the jobs. And you stood against him. My name's Jacqueline McCaffrey. Proud Edwards I tell you now, you know, you can sit in front of all these people. I tell you, without any shadow of a doubt, there will be no comparison with what Frank Lampard will achieve in football and what Scotty Cannon will achieve in football. And I may be now, I didn't want to say this in front of him, but he will go right to the very top. Right to the very top. Oh, there you are. You heard it here first. He has given them belief. It's almost the perfect man management. I love this club. When we start the season wanting to win, I'm convinced Frank Lampard will become England manager. Frank Lampard's lost eight games. Well, I can't drag people out of the medical room. But for some reason, hey, Frank's doing all right. Frank, maybe because he's English. I don't know. <laughs> Why do you think you're off the pace? That team cheering brings me back in my Aztec gold. Good guy, good guy. Oh my God, can somebody turn the treble up even more? If I can change. Answers please in a postcard to St. Ingravesy, Littlewood's Cup competition. We don't have enough treble on this thing.
right. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.